Bibles tonight. Um, go ahead and open them with me to Mark, the fifth chapter, Mark chapter five. And um, while you turn there, I want to um, introduce, review, renew, remind you of some of the things we've been talking about here of late. Um, amen. The Lord gave us a word. Sometimes in Christian circles, the Lord giving you a word means like a word of prophecy or something like that. I mean, like he literally gave us a word, a new word, amen. And that word is faithmatics, faithmatics. And faithmatics is speaking of carrying out and accomplishing things by the established manner of faith. Faithmatic speaks of a readiness, willingness, and eagerness to learn, think, and do things by faith. And so as we study faithmatics, our ultimate goal is to become faithmaticians. And a faithmatician is someone with extensive knowledge and skills in the use of faith to solve otherwise impossible life problems. Again, a faithmatician is someone with extensive knowledge and skills in the use of faith to solve otherwise impossible life problems. Now, the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible tells us to believe we've already received. The Bible tells us to contend for the faith, to put on the whole armor of God, to stand and keep standing, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, reach and keep reaching, press and keep pressing, endure to the end. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't pull back and miss out. Finish the race. Be diligent. Lay hold. And then once you've laid hold, hold fast. And we could go on and on with that. This, of course, is communicating to us that faith and living by faith and operating by faith is not something that we do casually or, or haphazardly, but something that we do deliberately intentionally with great determination and, and effort. Amen. It requires some effort um, to live by faith. No one ever accidentally did something by faith. Amen. It's speaking of something that, that we do purposefully and deliberately. Now, I know I've got you in, in the Gospel of Mark, so just let me, I wanted you there, so I, you just pay attention to the screen. And I want to run back through just a few more verses real quick. Luke, well, I say pay attention to the screen. I don't have, it's not working, so praise God. <laughs> Amen. I'm on uh, slide 11. Amen. All right. Um, Luke 17 and 5, it says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Anybody besides me interested in the Lord increasing your faith? He's not just, they're not, remember, increasing our faith doesn't just mean increasing the quantity of it, because we see that, that the amount of faith certainly can grow and increase, but we also see that, that faith involves uh, endurance, um, you know, increase the, the endurance of our faith. And of course, from there, Jesus taught them about faith as a seed and faith as a servant. Okay. 
Um, Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. 2 Corinthians 10 and 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. And so the Apostle Paul was a man of tremendous influence. But he recognized that as the churches grew in faith, they would grow in their ability to support him financially so that he could go to other places that had never heard the gospel and preach the gospel there. So we're talking about increasing in faith, which if you look at these verses together, the key to healthy church growth is for the church to increase in faith. As they increased in faith, they increased in number. As they increased in faith, they increased in finances. As they increased in faith, they increased in influence. Are you seeing this? Father has us still here because he wants us to be a factor of influence for his glory, for his kingdom, for his purposes, here on the earth, amen. And that should be growing, that should be increasing. That's, that's um, in other words, what's the saying, nature abhors a, a vacuum, but, but any, you know, Father God didn't create us to be stagnant, he created us to grow and to increase. Second Thessalonians one and three. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly now, not that, you know, like there was any kind of competition, but we see that the Corinthians' faith was increasing, but the Thessalonians, their faith was growing exceedingly. And we see this. We see, you know, throughout the ministry of Paul that he would go to some cities and they would reject him, and then he would go to places like Berea where, you know, they just couldn't get enough, right? Um, you know, we see where they would go to some places and the, and the people would try to stone the apostles, and then they would go to other places and, and, um, and, you know, receive them and receive the word of God with meekness and, and their faith would grow and it would grow uh, exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. The Passion Translation says, your faith is growing marvelously beyond measure. Marvelously beyond measure. Now, look at me for a minute. The, um, this is not the Apostle Paul. This is the Holy Spirit. In other words, that, that's the Word of God right there. Um, you know, one of the things that the Lord constantly, you know, reminds me, quickens me about is not to exaggerate. Exaggeration is a form of, 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 of lying. Um, and sometimes, you know, the enemy will have you, if you're not careful, you'll exaggerate things and um, you know, it was seven, but you told him it was nine. It was this, it was that, you know. And, and there's no need to exaggerate. You know, it's like there's no need to cheat. You don't have to cheat to win. You don't have to exaggerate to impress people or make God look bigger than he is. Amen. So, but remember now, this isn't Paul saying, man, those Thessalonians, their faith was growing beyond measure. No, this is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul saying to and encouraging the Thessalonians that their faith is growing marvelously beyond measure. That sounds like some rapid growth to me. 
It sounds like some impressive growth to me. And how many of you know that if the Thessalonians back, you know, in the first century, if their faith can, can grow marvelously beyond measure, then our faith can grow marvelously beyond measure. Amen. Well, I hope you're not tired of hearing those verses. I, I, I just feel led to, to just keep faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God, stirring you up with those as we begin our time together on Wednesday evenings. All right, Mark chapter 5. Let's begin at verse number 21, Mark 5 and 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So let's stop right here. This portion of our study in Faithmatics, we're calling it Case Studies in Faith and Healing. Case Studies in Faith and Healing. And what we mean by case study is here is a case of a man who had a need and that need called for a miracle. And we see that he's ultimately going to receive that miracle. And he's going to receive that miracle by faith. So this gives us an opportunity to learn about faith as we study faith at work in uh, someone else's life, in someone else's situation. So I've been telling you as you study the scriptures, especially when you study, um, you know, the Gospels and the book of Acts, to look for the faith. Find the faith. Amen. Because every miracle involves faith. Every breakthrough involves faith. Every deliverance involves faith. This is not just true in the New Testament. It's true you know, all the way back to the Old Testament. My friend, this, the, the worlds were framed by the Word of God. In other words, God created this physical world by faith. He saw it in His heart. He believed it. He spoke it out of His mouth. So every, every supernatural, if you will, event, occasion, occurrence, there's going to be faith involved in there somewhere. Sometimes it's very clear and it's very obvious. And it's right there on top. You can see it. Sometimes you have to look and, 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 you, and, you, and you have to find it. But I'm, I'm encouraging you to find the faith, right? Now, here we see J. Iris's faith because um, he expresses it in what he says. More times than not, you will find the faith in what is being spoken. In what is being spoken. We know that faith without works is dead. And, and although, um, you know, words are not the only action associated with faith, there's other actions. You've already, some of you, uh, put action with your faith and wrote a tithe check or gave in the offering. Again, it requires follow through. But the number one way faith is expressed and released is through words. It's through speaking. And so here, um, this man's faith, let's, let's see what his faith is, okay? Um, praise God. I'm, I'm getting, getting kind of way ahead of myself, all right? But let's, um, I'm going to do it anyway. Amen. I feel like I need to do it. If, if, you, if you know what's happening here, we, we, we're not going to get to all this tonight, but I want, you to, I want you to see this, okay? 
Jairus comes to him. Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house to heal his sick daughter. And a woman with a terminal illness, growing worse and worse by the day, grabs hold to the hem of Jesus' garment and, and receives healing. As Jesus is dealing with, with that, they send a messenger from Jairus' house and say, your daughter's dead, it's too late, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus tells Jairus, only believe, only believe, right? In other words, don't believe anything different than what you've already believed, what your faith's already. So what, what, did, what did he say? He said, come lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. And so Jesus is like, look, she's dead, but that hasn't changed anything. You believe your daughter's going to live today? Keep believing that. Only believe that. Okay. Now, what we see after that, after she is um, uh, raised from the dead, um, two blind men, again, following Jesus, and they say to Jesus, um, you know, have mercy on us. And, and Jesus says, uh, you know, what is it that you want me to do for you that we may receive our sight? And anybody remember what Jesus said to them? He said, be it unto you according to your faith. All right. Now, I haven't even got started good with tonight's sermon, and I'm already preaching next week's sermon, but that's okay. I want you to... The important thing that I want you to see here is the, is the flow of this. Be it unto you according to your faith. What we're seeing, and I'm using that word intentionally tonight, because I don't just mean we're seeing it with our eyes in the page, but what I pray the Holy Spirit will help you see inwardly, that, that, that you see it inside of yourself. Amen. But what we're seeing here is that... Jairus' faith, as it was expressed um, in what he said here, was not the same as the woman with the issue of blood. Now they both received. And Jesus, with the woman with the issue of blood, he said, your faith has made you well. All right? She didn't even ask Jesus for healing. As I've told you already, she recognized that healing was for her and she took it by faith. And Jesus didn't rebuke her for it. As a matter of fact, he, he uh, you know, acknowledged, congratulated her uh, for that. What does that tell you and me, again, about our faith? It's not just, these stories aren't just here to entertain you. These stories aren't just here to give us something to talk about on a Wednesday night. They're here for us to connect with and understand and learn from. All right? So what I'm offering to you is when Jesus said to the two blind men, be it unto you according to your faith, although he didn't say those same things to Jairus, but that's exactly what happened. It was unto Jairus according to Jairus' faith. It was unto the woman with the issue of blood according to her faith. And guess what? It is unto you and me according to our faith. It is unto you tonight according to your faith. It is unto me according to my faith. 
And if we want it to be different according to us, amen, in other words, if what we're experiencing and what, we're, uh, what level of, of, of God's grace we've been able to receive by faith, if we want that to change and increase in our lives, then guess what? Our faith is that determining factor. Our faith is that determining factor, all right? So, with that in mind, be it unto you according to your faith. Be it unto you according to your faith. See, that communicates so much to us. Case studies, right? We're looking at this. See, we, we have this tendency. Thank God he's helping us get over this. We have this tendency to think that it's according to, to something that God hasn't decided to do yet. You know, if God would just do this, if God would just help us, if God would just answer us, if God would, if God, you know, <laughs> again, He's freely given you all things. So it, it boils down to what can you believe Him for? He said all things are possible to Him who believes. Nothing's off the table for the man who can believe. Keith Moore was relaying a story from Brother Hagen, and I never heard Brother Hagen say this or read this in any of his books, but there was a man who was um, basically challenging him. He had preached a sermon on Mark 11, you know, that if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. And, and so th this man um, in Texas, he comes up to Brother Hagin and he says, so let me, let me get this right, you know, kind of almost like making fun of him, you know. It's like, let me get this right. You're saying that um, if, if I say I have 10 million oil wells, I'll have 10 million oil wells. And Brother Hagin said, no, that's not what I said. I said, if you can believe in your heart and not doubt that you have 10 million oil wells, then you'll have 10 million oil wells. But you don't believe in your heart that you have 10 million oil wells, so you need to sit down and be quiet. But, but see the, the difference there. Be it unto you according to your faith. See, we so want it to be unto us according to what we say, right? And what you say is important, but it's not just be it unto you according to what you say. It's be it unto you according to what you believe without doubt in your heart, released by what you say. That's a, a really important adjustment there. But when Jesus puts it in that context, again, another case study that we've been looking at, a father brings his son to Jesus' disciples. Uh, the young man is, is possessed by a demon. And the disciples tried to cast the demon out and, and were not able to, according to Jesus, because of their unbelief. And the man gets kind of, you know, Obviously, his son's sick and he wants some help there and he kind of gets, you know, excited or whatever, hyped up. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, help us. And what did Jesus say? If you can believe, all things are possible to him. So notice now, the man is saying, Jesus, 
If you can, Jesus like, it's not a matter of, your son being helped today is not a matter of whether or not I can help him and willing to help him and ready to help him. Because remember, our God is able, willing, and ready. He said, your son being helped today is dependent upon your ability to believe that I can help him. Do you see the difference there? Again, not specifically stated, be it unto you, sir, concerning your son, according to your faith. Now listen, I'm, I'm not telling you these things to aggravate you or frustrate you. I'm telling you these things to inspire you and encourage you. This, you don't realize what this means, right? If, if, as we increase in faith, or let me just, can I just say it how it's in my heart to say it? If we can get this faith thing right, <laughs> amen? Do you see why the devil fights it so hard? Do you see why he fights this, this faith message so hard? Because, you know, again, if, if he can keep the church in doubt and unbelief, he can keep us from experiencing the victory for our Father that we should otherwise be experiencing. Okay, so let's go back to it. Verse uh, 23, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. That's his faith. That's what this man believes. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed and thronged him. Um, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from, the, uh, from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Right? Now, here, here we go again. This one's pretty obvious, but, but do you see the faith? Th this is what she believed. Remember what only means? That and nothing else. That and nothing else. Only means that and nothing else. If only I touch his clothes, I will be made well. If I touch his clothes, nothing else has to be done. He doesn't have to turn around and look at me. He doesn't have to turn around and touch me. He doesn't have to turn around and, and, and tell me to do this. She was 100% convinced, fully persuaded, that the only thing that needed to happen for her to be healed of, of her terminal illness was for her to touch the hem or the hem of his clothes, hem of his garment, touch his clothes. That's her faith. Do you see how it differs from Jairus? But, but again, Father's working with, Jesus is working with her. I mean, working with Jairus. I know we've been over these things before, but just the centurion. This is why Jesus said he had the greatest faith he had seen. Because the centurion's faith was different from these. The centurion said, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. All right. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us tonight. Amen. You agreeing with me? Believing with me? For she said, 
If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, as I've already told you, so let me remind you, we have Mark's account of this, we have Luke's account of this, and we have Matthew's account of this. And each one of them records some details that we don't see recorded in the other account. This is not contradiction. This is how these men remembered it and their eyewitness testimony and experience with these things. In Mark's version, we see where Jesus pointed out, just like in other versions, that her faith made her well. He didn't say, I made you well. He said, your faith made you well. But then notice, he also told her to go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, we know she's already healed, right? Immediately, the flow of blood dried up when she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus felt the healing power, virtue, leave his body and go into her. So she's already healed. So when he says, go in peace, be healed of your affliction, all right? Remember what Mark recorded in verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So there's some things pertaining to Moses' law here. Because she, had, uh, because she was bleeding, she was not supposed to be in public. She was not supposed to be touching other people. So she was going to slip in there, receive her healing, and go back to her house and be, and be whole and healed and not tell anybody, right? Well, Jesus called her on it. And this, again, fear and trembling means what? Her peace was temporarily interrupted. When he says go in peace, he's like, it's okay. It's, it's okay, daughter. You're good. Don't be all upset about this. Don't, don't be worried about, you know, breaking Moses' law. I mean, she could have been stoned. She could have been stoned for what she did. But Jesus is like, you know, every, everything is, is, is okay. Let me give you that same verse in the Amplified. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, your trust and confidence in me, springing from faith in God, has restored you to health. Go in into peace and be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. Can I tell you what I believe Jesus was saying to her when he said, go in peace and be healed of your affliction? He's saying, relax, you're not in trouble, you haven't done anything wrong, and by the way, that sickness that you were healed from today will never come back on you again. Right? Go in peace. See, there's a lot of folks, right, that 
you know, oh man, you know, I'm healed today, but then the enemy starts, you know, come on, anybody in here, you, you, got, you get saved and you get all excited about getting saved and the next day the devil's telling you, I know it happened yet. You know, starts trying to talk you out of it, baptizing the Holy Spirit, devil tell you, oh man, that was just emotion. You got caught up in the moment. That's nothing real there, right? So that's, that's the enemy, right? And, and a lot of people get healed and the enemy starts coming and he starts, you know, trying to, uh, you know, put some symptoms back and, and manipulate you know, how people feel and their mood and these kinds of things. And so Jesus is like, listen, daughter, not only are you healed, you go in peace. Don't be, you're not in trouble for what you did today. And don't ever let a thought from the enemy torment you that somehow your body's going to start bleeding again. Healed of your affliction. Amen. Well, praise God. Now, it seems like we keep getting to this point, and we obviously look at some new things every time we make the trip. We've pointed out that she touched Jesus while the crowds thronged him. And why I believe, there's lots of reasons, but one of the key reasons that I believe this particular miracle is important for us to study is because we have a woman who received when many others did not. She received something from Jesus that day that other people wanted. That's why they were thronging him. That's why they were... They were, uh, you know, literally uh, pressing him. Um, we're not going to turn there tonight, but in, in Mark, the third chapter, we see where Jesus, and notice, remember where this story begins, he's by the seaside. Jesus would always get near water because the crowds would literally try, they would, they would try to crush him, and, and he would keep a boat nearby in case he needed to escape that's that's what's this is why he told people when he would heal them don't tell anybody but of course they'd tell him anyway because again the crowds are becoming literally not only unmanageable they're becoming unsafe so the people were trying to touch jesus um because he had healed so many people, they were trying to get a hand on him to see if maybe they would receive something themselves. Now, put, if you don't mind, put slide number 40 um, up there for me. The thronging crowd tried to make contact with Jesus. Compare this to the woman with the issue of blood. She touched Jesus in order to make a connection with him. In order to make a connection with him. Now, Key words here, thronging, mobbing, to see if something might happen, versus touching, believing that it will happen. 
Okay? And then two words, contact, connect. Okay? Contact, connect. The thronging crowd was trying to make contact. The woman with the issue of blood was not trying to throng. Her efforts involved touching Jesus to make a connection. Right? Now, when the Bible says that she touched him, this word in the original language, it means to connect. By definition, are you ready? A self-conscious effort to handle an object so as to exert big words like man, hey, stay with me now. We're about, we're about done for the evening. I know it's been a long day for a lot of us, all right? I want to give you this to, to be meditating on, all right? To handle an object so as to exert a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. Okay? That's, go ahead. I know normally we don't put notes up there. Put slide 41 up there. I, want, I, want some, I see some folks taking pictures and, and writing stuff down, all right? So the word touch, the Bible says she touched the hem of his garment. But she said in her heart first, if only I touch. Again, our word touch in English can mean different things. I'm trying to get you to understand what she was saying. She wasn't just saying if I make contact with him. She was saying if I can make a connection with him. If, in other words, a self-conscious effort. And the, and the idea here behind touch is to handle an object I'm not just trying to be disrespectful calling Jesus an object, but again, let's get the understanding of the word and then we can have a better understanding of what separated her from everybody else. Do you want to be like the crowd that thronged and went away empty or do you want to be like the woman who touched, made a connection and received her healing, received her miracle, received her breakthrough, right? So the, the, the key here, I think, among other things, but the, the, the one thing I think that stands out more than anything else is the difference in her intention. Her, you know, the crowd thronged, they made contact, she touched and made a connection. And so the idea here behind this word is it's, it's speaking of a self-conscious effort. Again, something that's done deliberately, intentionally. And, and the idea is that we're, we're not just trying to make contact with something or somebody, but we're wanting to handle an object so as to exert a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. When, when, I, when I first, the Holy Spirit led me to that definition in one of my uh, Greek dictionaries, one of the first things that popped into my mind and if you've ever heard his testimony, you've probably heard him share this, but when Bryce Hankins was court-ordered to the foundry, his dad and Pastor Bill were next-door neighbors, and they were friends with a judge in Bessemer, and, and Bryce had just gotten some very serious charges, and, and Bryce felt like they all conspired against him to get him to the foundry. Well, guess what? Bryce was right. But it wasn't just to get him to the foundry, it was to keep him out of a 15 years to life prison sentence. 
But he shows up at the foundry and he's going to play the game and, and uh, you know, he faked mental illness. And I don't know if y'all have ever heard that whole part of the story. Went back to the judge and thinking the judge would send him to a, some kind of psychiatric deal instead of the foundry. And, you know, she told him, she said, you know, you, you either go to the foundry or go to prison, which, you know, you, you choose. And, of course, he's, she saw right through it, right? But there came a point when he went through that experience with his twins and they sent word through his former wife that basically they were done. They didn't want to have anything to do with him ever again. And it, and it so broke his heart. And I said all that to say this. He falls on his face before God and he says... To God, either change me or let me die. Change me or let me die. See, this was a man who was not praying a casual, simple, shallow prayer. He came to the altar to grab hold of God to experience, right, an exertion of God's influence, modifying influence on his life. In other words, that's what modifying influence is. It's one thing to casually touch something. It's another thing to pick it up to change it. Do you see the difference here? This is going to take us a little time, and I know we're out of time tonight, but again, her intentions were, I don't care if, I, if I'm stoned to death, I'm going to be stoned to death for touching Jesus with no more blood flowing out of my body. Her, her intentions were, I'm going into that fray, into that multitude, into that thronging crowd, and I'm not going to be denied I'm going to grab hold of the hem of his garment, and when I grab hold of the hem of his garment, I'm going to receive an exertion, right, of modifying influence upon myself. In other words, when I grab him, I'm going to be changed. Compare that to, well, let me see if I can, let me see if I can touch him and see if anything will happen. See, no. Them folks, they receive nothing. The crowd was simply trying to make contact with Jesus while the woman with the issue of blood made a self-conscious effort to connect with him. She wasn't there to simply make contact with him. She was there to make a connection. She was there to receive a modifying influence upon herself. Others made contact to see if anything would happen. She already declared what would happen when she made the connection. I literally have this written in my notes. I don't want to rush this part because I believe there is difference-making truth to be understood here. Contact versus connection. So stand with me. We'll jump back in there next Wednesday evening. Contact versus connection. Okay? Contact versus connection. We're not just trying to... 
get in touch. See, see, we use our, you know, trying to get in touch with somebody, right? Trying to make contact with somebody. A lot of times we say get in touch, making contact, right? We're not just trying to make contact. We're not just trying to get in touch with God, you know. We're looking for a life-changing connection. Do you see the difference there? Yes? Yes? Yes. See, a lot of that has to do with our attitude. A lot of us, you know, we, people want to, I say us, I'm just talking about the body of Christ, not just us in this room, but the body of Christ. A lot of people in the body of Christ, you know, you know Jesus is just all right with me, you know, just kind of keep him around in case they need him. It's kind of like, you know, in your cell phone, you got lots of contacts in there, right? Right? Okay. But there's also folks in that cell phone that you have deep personal connections with. See, again, I'm just trying to show you the difference here. Her attitude was not contact. Her attitude was connect. I'm going to connect with him. And when I connect with him, this is what's going to happen in my body. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Lord, thank you for today. It has been a good day, Father. It's been a long day, but it's been a good one, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the things that we've heard and things that we've learned. Thank you, Father, for the men in this room, Lord, that we started together very early this morning, and here we are well into the evening. We're still talking about you and loving you and thanking you and learning from you, and we thank you for that, Father. Our lives are being changed because our minds are being renewed. And Lord, I thank you for the determination, the willingness, the commitment, the attitude, Father, of the men and women in this room on a Wednesday night. We didn't just come here, Father, to make contact. We came here because we have a connection with you that's living and vital and life-giving. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Good things coming. Thank you again for being here.